Hi, I'm Erin. And I'm Kimona. And this is Rebels Advocate, the podcast where we break down the shit show that is the current social climate and reframe the radical. Let's get started. Hello, Erin. Hello, Kimona. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, it's a a little bit of a sick day for me, but mostly all right. It'll pass. Mostly all right is great. And um, all all hot girls have stomach issues is what's been going around the internet recently. Uh, Well, if that is true, (laughs) I might be the hottest person on the planet. I support you in that. Yeah. Um, You know, I've got acid reflux, so I guess I also qualify as a hot girl, kind of. I I think so. I mean, I have multiple food allergies, IBS. I'm sure this is what people want to hear. Right. Tuesday mornings. Yeah. The intricacies of my stomach problems. If you, if your stomach has ever hurt. I'm the girl for you. <laughs> that, yes. And also, you're a hot girl. And it's going to be a hot girl summer, allegedly. There you go. So, <laughs> so you heard it ready. from us, folks. <laughs> We're hot. Yeah. Um. You know what else is hot? Allyship. <laughs> I was, like, trying to come up with, like, a thing that was hot. And I was like, Texas. Well, yeah, that too. Um, no, I was trying to make a fun little uh, segue. You know, we try. Yeah, uh, because did you know this is this is such a weird thing? But do you ever look at the way that segue is spelled? Uh, yes, because when you wrote it in the notes, I was like, "That's a word." Uh huh. Yeah, it's not spelled like the scooter, y'all. How's the scooter spelled? <laughs> like, the way you think it would be? The way you would think it was it would be spelled. It really bothers me, but um, Segway. <laughs> and that's all I have to say on the matter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's my segue into today's topic. We're going to talk about allyship and what it means to be an ally. A full circle moment. A full circle moment. Yeah, because we talk about allyship a lot. It comes up in probably almost every conversation that we have. Um, and it's super important. So we thought, I'd argue it's kind of the gist of the podcast. Yeah, true. Honestly, yes, I would agree. I, with I mean, you. rebels advocate. Like, if you're a rebels advocate, you're an ally. Like, it it goes in hand in hand. Yes, I agree. And so we thought we would uh, dive into that a little bit. Like, what does that mean? Um, and when I try to think of what it means to be an ally, the first concept not concept uh what is the word i'm looking for i don't know like when a thing looks is like another thing and but they're similar but not the same um who knows i'll figure it out later and i'll be very upset when i listen back to this uh but that happens to me on the regular if i say (laughs) a word and and i do this in writing too i've always done it like i'll use a big word and it'll be the wrong big word and i'll know Mm -hmm. it in the moment too but I don't know the right answer. So it's not like I can correct myself. Yeah. So then I'll listen to the podcast and I'm like, damn it. See, I know I'm going to listen back. because like, I know exactly what I was trying to say, but it's fine. Words are hard and <laughs> you know this, but I think of 
being a good ally is like being a nice guy. If you have to tell people that you're a nice guy, something's wrong. If you have to explain to someone that you're an ally to a marginalized group, something's wrong and you're not doing it right because it should be evident. I have always had the problem with people who like self-describe themselves as allies. Like, yep. I mean, obviously, like I do, but that's because it's been bestowed upon me. Like, I'm not the one who decided one day that I'm an ally. Am I the one who decided to behave like one? Absolutely. But it's kind of, this is like super niche, but another analogy or metaphor or whatever for this is like, I think in sign language, you don't like, you can create a sign for your name, but Mm -hmm. like a deaf person is the person who assigns you your name, name sign yeah like you don't just make one because you feel like it um or you feel cool so it's just if you show up as an ally for different communities and you don't get to be an ally if you're an ally for one community you're like i'm super like woke when it comes to like anti-black racism but i don't care about the needs of lgbt Oh my God, I couldn't even say my own acronym. Whoa. LGBTQIA <laughs> plus community or um, Asian community or dis- uh, disabled people. There's just, you don't get to be an ally for just one. That's just not what the word means. Yeah, I agree. It's being an ally is an all encompassing addition to your identity is I think a really good way to think of it. It's not something that you can just like check off a box one day and decide to just be an ally. It is active work. Um, and it's, it's sometimes really uncomfortable work. Yeah. I'd say it's more of an action than a title. Yes. I think that's the big takeaway. Yeah, it is action based. I've seen what I really like to to think about here is that allyship should really be conceptualized as a verb, as a thing you do, rather than as who you are. Because you can be like really good at using your voice to stand up for people and standing in solidarity with communities, but you're not going to be perfect at it. And in that way, I think it's important to recognize that it's it's an action and you have to actively make that choice to make the, the to honestly do the right thing is what it basically comes down to. Um, and acknowledging mistakes, apologizing, growing. We've talked about this so many times um, and a lot in the beginning of the podcast, um, just really to say this is who we are and what we stand for. Um, And I think that goes across the board for what allyship is and the way you need to show up as an ally. Yeah. And I feel like a really important part of talking about allyship is uh, addressing the elephant in the room. It's not the Republicans. I thought that was really funny when I wrote that down. I- yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna out you in this moment and say that you had written down that joke. I'm like, don't give it to her. <laughs> don't laugh. <laughs> she wrote it. It's all scripted. Ah, no, it's not. <laughs> She's not on the fly. 
it is it is still funny though. So. Thank you, thank you. I'm a bit of a part-time comedian, maybe. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> so, the elephant is not the Republicans, but... It's white supremacy. That Yay. guy. Yeah, so it's really important um, to have the uncomfortable conversations and just realizations that uh, we live in a white supremacist system. And everything is designed to play into that, um, especially in the United States, which is like the foundation from which we are speaking. Uh, Does allyship change a little bit? Like for, well, one for each marginalized group, yes, definitely. And also when you take it globally, yes, definitely. But that's also why it's important to recognize uh, that it is an action because the ally activities change depending on what each marginalized group needs. Um, right. Allyship, allyship is adaptable to it, its environment, um, like what's needed in that scenario. But it's to refer to yourself as an ally, you have to go across the board. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to talk about allyship right now because, I mean, I'm sure you guys have been following the news, seeing an increase in hate crimes against the Asian community. Um, and, like, we have the Derek Chauvin trial happening right now. There's a lot going on. It's what people might consider a sensitive time. Um, although I would argue that it's really only a sensitive time if you haven't been paying attention. Because all right. of these, like these are not new things. These things have been happening. It's I mean the trial, although it's only just started, George Floyd's death has been a year. Um yeah. so this whole you know movement and information and allyship conversations, although this is an incident specific event this is not new racism isn't new police brutality isn't new um so hopefully that doesn't feel particularly sensitive although anytime something's extremely televised or very prominent in media it's a very sensitive time in in the sense that it's triggering especially for community members in those communities um and i think that's I know this is something we want to talk more on, but I guess I'll segue into it now of just, you know, you shouldn't be forced to watch the trial and relive all the trauma that's indebted into rewatching the videos of uh, George Floyd's death when you're affected personally by being a black person in America. Um, and you shouldn't have to watch all these videos and read the news every day as an Asian person uh, contributing to the forums of educating white people into terms of stopping Asian hate. It isn't the responsibility of the community members to hold your hand and educate you. Although it's great to learn from people who have real life experience the longer these things go on and the more televised and dramatized these events are, it's putting more and more pressure on individual community members to have to 
potentially risk their own mental well-being to have to put so much time and energy in educating the public. And that's just not a that's not a hat that they should have to wear. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, and I also I want to talk a little bit about the specific hashtag stop Asian hate um, and how I think that kind of plays into uh, where the blame falls. Um, and like the hashtag, like at face value, it's it's really fine. Um, and I think for for its purposes of organizing people and making resources easily available and accessible, totally good. But I worry that people, particularly non-Asian people, and I say this as a non-Asian person, uh, can easily use that to and not realize that they might be internalizing this idea um, that stop Asian hate, like, is kind of like putting the 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 fault on like an individual for being hateful, when that's not all it is. Like, are there specific hateful individuals who? take the greater systemic issue to a point of enacting direct violence yes however the system in and of itself is constantly enacting violence on various marginalized communities and in this case on the asian american community um and i think that's really important and something that can be missed and this is why it's important to talk about white supremacy because when you recognize that this is the system that we live in you realize how it's not just the individuals that have to be able to stop Asian hate. We have to address it in a larger picture, in a larger way. Right. The The point of stopping Asian hate isn't stopping hateful people who hate Asians. It's going to the root of the problem. Why do people perform violence against Asian community members, why they hold prejudices and stereotypes and other things that lead to these direct acts of violence that are being, you know, focused on and more vocalized in social media and the news. Um, One thing that I think is really interesting in just conversations as a whole of, you know, stopping hate and acts of violence and racism and whatever against a specific community is that often in these conversations and often perpetrated by white people um, comes this way of pinning minorities against one another. And sometimes within their own communities, like this happened a lot um, and continues to happen a lot in the Black Lives Matter conversations where white people are like, "What, what about black on black crime? Or what I'm noticing a lot in terms of the Stop Asian Hate hashtag is a lot of people are talking about how Black people hate Asian people and start bringing up examples and things like that. And I think this is a prime example of where that root of white supremacy is so misunderstood because particularly with white people, they have a very, very hard time identifying white supremacy as an issue if there's not a white person involved. Mm-hmm. For most, they hear white supremacy and think of a singular white supremacist, or they think of the KKK. They think of a group of hateful white people. 
not that the system of white supremacy exists to perpetuate hate in all of these senses of the word, not just with white people. And that I think is super important, um, particularly for white allies, gonna call y'all out uh, to educate yourself on why white supremacy is a system and not just like these white supremacist groups and like uh, one like white supremacist man. Um, spoiler alert, it all stems from slavery <laughs> and farther back even, but like that's just one point, the major point there. Um, but as an ally, particularly as a white ally, um, I think all allies should understand it, but I think it comes a little bit more naturally to people who are victims of white supremacy uh, that they should really take that time to educate themselves on why it's a system. Um, but I really I really wanted to add to your point, Erin, on how white supremacy can pit marginalized groups against each other. Um, and I've seen it, it's been happening a lot uh particularly right now um i've seen at the beginning of like the news cycle regarding these stop asian hate hashtag and asian hate crimes um i know there was a bit of a at least on twitter i saw a little bit of uh some arguments over like what hashtags are being used apparently some people were using like asian lives matter which like they do but maybe but like you shouldn't co-opt another movement's verbiage. It's generally frowned upon. Um, and then that also just gets real iffy because of the concept of all lives matter and how that was used. That's what I was going to say. It's, yeah. it's, you also picked a verbiage that's already very controversial mm-hmm. and not something that white people as a whole get on board with. And you don't want to just... You've already, you should have already learned like don't start a movement or a hashtag that you already know white people are not going to get on board with because you need those people to understand and if if you always come at them with things that and we we know white people are extraordinarily defensive and they're very very eye focused and you know, feel like things like that are a personal attack on them, on their family members, their friends. And I'm just in the mindset of some level of neutrality in those types of things, because if you, it's hard to say, because like, I'm not here to cater or pander to the white man, but there's a level of leniency that I want to, or neutrality rather, to get the white moderates on board to be like, hey, not to scare you away or anything, but can you listen to this and realize how logical and normalized this should become? Um, Which is just an issue with like hashtags to begin with, not anything particular with this in it itself. Yeah, but even uh, beyond that, even if we exclude white folks from this conversation, then you get to a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it infighting, but I guess it's infighting of different marginalized groups where you have black folk that look at a hashtag like Asian Lives Matter and think it's the same kind of co-opting as All Lives Matter, where it's trying to take away um, 
like the reasoning behind the hashtag, the, right, the right. exact, the point. Uh, when I don't, like from what I saw, that wasn't the intention. Um, I can't speak for everyone on the internet, obviously. Uh, but it's important to recognize that there are those nuances that have to be navigated. But even more so, this just, the way that white supremacy pits minority groups against each other is it's been really bothering me lately because it's trying to get us all to subscribe to this model minority myth that if we can gain a proximity to whiteness enough that we'll be all right that if we can make the other minorities look bad then like we'll be good and at the end of the day all this does is helps white supremacy prosper because if the different marginalized groups are fighting each other, then we can't fight the system. And that's what really needs to happen. Right. I think that's a a massive point of dismantling racism and white supremacy is, again, attacking it at its roots. Because (laughs) the tree isn't going to fall down if we just chop it down and the stump's still there and the roots are still in the ground. So, you know, we can like you were saying, this proximity to whiteness. And there shouldn't be this desire to be, you know, it's almost like the desire to be liked, the desire to be the best and the closest and the accepted, like, oh, I I don't cause any problems. The, The white people feel like they can confide in me. That is no one's responsibility. And isn't tackling any issue. It's still going to permeate throughout way beyond yourself. Like if you could, you know, perhaps pander to the white person and make your life easier, that's not going to address anything in the matter. And if anything, it's probably perpetuating white people and thinking that they're, they got it. They're an ally. They're woke. They have a black friend that thinks they do everything great, but then isn't sitting in it and going, okay, but why are our coworkers treating them differently? And why did they have to work harder to get the same job as me? Like if they're not thinking about that, then they're not going to learn and then they're not going to teach their children or correct their friends. Like every single white person needs to be confronted with what their existence allows them to do. And yes, it might be uncomfortable that in any conversation we have to pinpoint the white person. Like, sure, we, we usually we talk more about anti-blackness on this podcast. And now we have to talk about Asian hate. But it's always the white person's fault, ultimately, because... And again, I'm not saying you specifically, you, your friends, you and your family, but the white person as a whole, the white supremacist system allows us to walk through life without consequence. And that's unacceptable. And you need to be confronted with what your existence benefits from, as well as what sacrifices communities of color have to make to allow your life to be so simple, really. Um, Yeah, I would also add, um, if you are feeling some 
your your hair stand up a little, if your heart's beating a little quicker after Aaron says all of that, then maybe you'd have to sit with yourself and do a little self-reflection because you might be part of the problem. You might be perpetuating some shit. What I would also argue is maybe you're not as uncomfortable when I say it to you because I'm the white lady. But Mm. if you would be uncomfortable with the same verbiage that I'm pronouncing and the same actions that I require, if that would make you uncomfortable from hearing it from Kimona, then that's a whole, that's an issue too. People, and this is, goes back to the whole issue with white fragility, as much as we love it, all the problems. What's good about it is it does make people who maybe can't hear it from a black woman, maybe that makes them turn away and less likely to digest the information. Like, yes, we want that. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying about the pandering and the hashtags. There's some benefit in there in getting those white moderates to listen. However, we cannot cater to their uncomfortableness in because that's still perpetuating white supremacy and allowing people to be comfortable in other people's suffering Mm. and pain. And that's just not okay. So as much as I still stand by that point that I was making about the hashtags, I do acknowledge and don't want to support the idea that we need to do things to, again, pander to the white man. I I don't don't think that that's what I was getting at. (laughs) Yeah. um, And I think it's also important for allies people who want to practice good allyship to take like current event moments and intentionally sit with them and figure out what you can do to help uh one thing that i think is really helpful in terms of the rise in hate crimes against asian americans uh take a bystander training or simply just like i don't know do some light Googling, some research at least, and figure out how to not just be a passive bystander. Um, One of the most recent uh, hate crimes involved like a security guard, just like watching as someone was beat to like beat on the street. Uh, Don't be like that person. Let's, uh, let's not do that. And if you can't be that person to just jump in there and stop an immediate crime, that's that's understandable. We, we're not asking you to go from zero to 100. But these levels of confrontation um, can be done in very small increments. And that starts with your direct community. If someone in your immediate environment says something that's not acceptable, you should address it. Even if not, maybe, maybe you don't feel capable or willing to create confrontation in that moment. So maybe pull them aside later and say, hey, you said something earlier that I don't love and I would like to educate you on it. People also tend to respond better on that. I'm someone who's quick to confrontation. I know that about myself, Um, which can be a great thing, but it also can be a bad thing because a lot of people don't respond well to that feeling of embarrassment or that defensiveness again, that like you're calling me out. I'm not racist. I'm not a bad person. So in situations like that, I have learned that I have to be kind of pick and choose. Like if I really want someone to respond better and learn and grow, I may have to put them in a neutral environment and really provide them with that information. 
Um, and in certain scenarios, that works better. And I think we've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast. There's variations of confronting white supremacy and racism in very, very small bits that maybe will allow you maybe to get further and maybe be that person who will jump in in a big confrontation or crime or whatever it be, but also small pieces build a greater resistance. It's the kinds of things that we say all the time that these small things add up and they're they're successes. So if you don't feel capable of doing that, take it in small doses. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, Like it's really important to just realize like the the type of worlds and spaces that we can create just with like the words we say. So if someone around you says something that's racist, uh, call them out. Whether you can call them out in that moment or like Aaron said, pull them to the side a bit later and be like, hey, this is what you said. This is why it's not okay. Figure out a way. But like even just like calling someone out, like that starts to set a tone. And if everyone is calling everyone out for the tiny bits of racism and race-based violence, uh, then it becomes a lot less feasible in the mind of someone who might be racist um, that people will accept their direct violence against certain people. Uh, it's It's like a little domino effect or like the butterfly effect, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, I think this goes well too with, you know, what the response that you have in those situations. If you're a true ally, you know, you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to be perfect. And sometimes you're going to do things that you're embarrassed by or ashamed of because you're not that person. Um, and like, I, I've done it. I've done it recently. I've said something that I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not, why did I say that? And then really confronted my internal feelings towards that. Um, and like, what is perpetuating me to respond that way? Why is that still there? Even though I'm this big woke ally person, I'm going to still make mistakes. But how you respond when confronted with hey, you said something wrong. Hey, can I educate you? This offended me is just as important as confronting, if not more. Um, And and we've talked about this here. I'm very adamant on proper apologies Mm -hmm. and taking acknowledgement of your own actions. This is something that beyond just my allyship that I take very seriously in my life and the people that I surround myself with. When you're responsible for every single word that comes out of your mouth, every action that you take, despite, you know, the conditions in which you said it. If you said something as a joke, if you said something without thinking while you were drunk, doesn't matter. Your intention behind the words is irrelevant. It's the impact that it makes. And one thing that I have that this goes beyond allyship, and I would love for everyone to adapt this practice, is something that's very common in apologies is that people are like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm. I'm sorry I'm sorry that people like to distance themselves from the situation because they don't feel that they are responsible or that wasn't my intent. That wasn't what I meant. You're being dramatic. Does not matter. You are responsible for what you said and the impact that that makes on that person 
even if you can't control it, maybe that person has triggers that you you couldn't control. But what you need to do in a situation like that is acknowledge that you had, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. You know, having genuine regret for making someone feel that way. And people usually respond quite well. That's how I respond well. If I don't really care what the intention was behind it, as long as you can acknowledge the mistake, I'm far more likely to forgive you. And I think most people would be. If you can say, hey, I really didn't realize that that's what I was doing by saying that or behaving this way and promising to do better and learning from it, that kind of vow is much stronger than saying, oh, I'm sorry that you're upset from that. You're dramatic. Like, I didn't really mean it. You don't get it. That's the impact that those words have by saying, I'm sorry you feel this way. I'm sorry that you have these feelings. Good apologies are so important. Um, I think everyone needs to learn how to apologize better. Uh, I don't know why we as a society have just kind of glossed over that and like let so many people just like slide through life without knowing how to actually like apologize for something. Um, but I would love to see people actually adopt that more as well because it's it's really important, especially especially if you want to be someone who can consider yourself an ally. I see this as a big issue when people are called out uh, anywhere on the internet, honestly, because people love to talk about cancel culture and how it's like oppression and blah, 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 free speech, all of this. However, sorry to interrupt, but the one I hear all the time is like the quintessential white man who's like, you can't say anything anymore. Everything's so PC. (laughs) You can't say anything in America. No one can take a joke. (laughs) And that is my version. You know, I I imagine that as like a chubby white man who's balding named Glenn. Ooh, okay, Glenn. Glenn has some work to do. Glenn is not an ally. (laughs) Glenn Glenn and Karen got married. Karen married him for his money uh, because Glenn's not not a good looking guy. Um, But Glenn's that guy. Yeah, so if... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just am thinking about the character that we've just created here. Uh, but Glenn needs to learn um how to apologize. Glenn does. Uh and it's it's just when someone calls you out for something, half the time they're not trying to like cancel you if it's a repetitive issue, like that's one thing. And if it's like really bad, then you know, that's another. But on like the day-to-day. It's like, hey, this thing you're doing is actually hurtful to me or to my community or to a community um, that I listen to actively. Uh, And it's important to be able to not just immediately jump to the defense, which I think is everyone's default. Uh, And that's just particularly Glenn's and Karen's. It's, It's right. Don't be like that. Don't be like Glenn and Karen. Like you have to, and it's uncomfortable. I will acknowledge that. It is so hard to sit and be like, I made someone feel really icky. Especially and- if you're a, a good person. Right. You're, you want to be defensive often because you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed that you did something wrong or that your words were affected someone in a negative way. That can be really embarrassing. I know it is for me, but again, 
meeting anything with defensiveness gets nowhere. And, and, and in every situation, every time, your defensiveness, you're the asshole. Always. It is so true. You have to sit in that uncomfy feeling and then you have to apologize because you hurt someone. You should care that you hurt someone. And I think that's really what it comes down to. I know, like, oh, my favorite, like, Instagram, like, sticker that I see floating around all the time is, like, I don't know how to convince you that you should care about other people. Absolutely. Empathy people, why don't we have it? As, as an empath, it's exhausting. Please don't be me fully, but like just a little bit, just a little sprinkle. Like people suffer differently than you and it doesn't diminish your pain. It doesn't change that you've gone through a lot. Just because you're white doesn't mean that you didn't have a hard childhood. You didn't face abuse and trauma and poverty. But again, at the root of all those situations, the white person is always going to have an easier time because of the way they present. Same reason that white passing people of color benefit from white privilege. We get to walk around in the world without consequence based on that sole difference. And that, that should make you uncomfortable. That's not something you've earned. Like, do I feel that I've earned respect in certain rooms like as an academic do i feel like i should be respected when i walk into a meeting absolutely but you know if i have no experience and no rhyme or reason for someone to have respect for me i should not be taken seriously in certain scenarios as the expert by default of being white and that happens a lot and that should that should make you really uncomfortable I think that's another really important just like part of allyship. It's recognizing your privilege and figuring out how you can use your privilege to not only uplift other voices, not to speak for them. I think that's also really important. Uh, a lot of people like to say, oh, that I advocate for these people. No, you don't. You don't. You can advocate with people and you can stand in solidarity with them and you can uplift their voices. That is what you should be doing. You should not you be speaking be an, over The only time that you're an advocate for is, you know, if you're advocating for something that you're a part of. Like, exactly. We can advocate for the, identis, the identities that we have and hold those spaces in. You uplifting others' voices, you know, again, taking those times that sometimes, like I said earlier, if taking my word for it, is a little easier for you, a little more palatable than hearing it from a black woman like Kimona. Like I know that some people respond that way and it's my responsibility to use that privilege sometimes mm -hmm. to elevate Kimona's voice, to get those points across, to call those people out because maybe, just maybe, they're a little more likely to digest that, do something about it because the white lady told them. Yes, it is always... A good ally will put their privilege on the line when necessary. And I think Absolutely. It's, Perfect it's, way really, to say it. it's really important to like actually sit with that and accept that. And I think an easy, super easy example to conceptualize for people. If you're in the office and you notice that you have a coworker who is constantly uh, like perpetuating microaggressions against someone, like 
the simplest, most obvious ones, even like uh like if you have a black coworker and uh Glenn comes in and it's like, ooh, look at your new weave and starts like touching her hair. Uh or like call it out. Or like Karen comes <laughs> in the office and calls uh your black coworker by the other black coworker's name. Oh, like Lord. little <laughs> things like that that are so like easy for the Glens and the Karens to be like, oh, it was a simple mistake. No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Those aren't mistakes. <laughs> and if it's pure ignorance, that's not, not that it's like, oh, it's okay. But like, that's okay to learn from that, grow from that. And ignorance is not bliss. The bliss is being able to ignore other people's pain. That's not an acceptable way to be a decent human. That does not make you a good person by ignoring people's suffering because your privilege allows you to do that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and the specific um, – a specific point that I do want to emphasize there is that in a situation like that, you putting your privilege on the line means that, oh, like, Glenn or Karen is going to, like, maybe give you, like, a nasty look. Whereas if I, as a Black woman – call out the microaggression right as it happens i have to weigh in my head is someone am i going to lose my job because i'm calling somebody out is someone the consequences are so much greater the consequences are so much greater and the sacrifices that you're making by calling microaggressions or racism or white supremacy out like Kimona said earlier like putting your privilege on the line is far different that feeling of uncomfortable uncomfortableness or embarrassment or maybe a small consequence versus someone's life versus someone's literal life. Like people of color lose their lives every day for doing basic things. There is a child in a Southern state right now. I want to say Texas that might not be correct. That is six years old who is in juvie for picking a flower. That's messed up (laughs) because that, that whatever lawn it was from that person decided to press charges for vandalism a similar case has an eight-year-old black boy who is in was pressed charges by white parents because the kid like lifted up the girl's skirt or something which obviously is a violation but like i'm pretty sure that an eight-year-old did not know that that was assault and in a if it had been a little white boy he would just like get a slap on the wrist probably would actually get no consequence mm-hmm. because he's a male. But those white parents decide to press charges. Literally, like, being a person of color, your life could be on the line. Your freedom could be on the line, no matter age, um, wealth. You're not, you're not exempt. And the white person can always just slide on by. Yeah. Um, and before we, like – because we're we're coming in on 45 minutes so quick these conversations just go like that (laughs) yeah the ranty ones it's hard to stop it really is but i do want to emphasize that while we've talked about allyship you know as a white woman and a black woman uh you can be an ally in just about any identity uh i said just about because if you're at the absolute like inner intersection of all the identities, then I guess right. you have no need for any allyship at all. However, <laughs> I don't know if that's possible though. Right. That's what I'm, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to draw a diagram one day and we're going to figure it out. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say with not a hundred percent confidence, but that it's likely 
impossible to have no need for any form of allyship. Likely impossible, yeah. But there's probably some way that you have privilege in your life. There's got, like, just you have to, you might have to, like, sit and think about that a little bit for a second. But you likely have some form of privilege. Uh, white people all have white privilege. Uh, if you can afford to go to school, like go to college or higher ed, that's a privilege that you have. Everyone has different ways that they are are privileged and that they can be an ally to a different community. Not uh, to rattle them off, but there's easy ones. Being able-bodied, being someone that's not neurotypical, um, you know, well, who is neurotypical? Mm-hmm. Boring, but whatever. <laughs> being cisgender, <laughs> being uh, heterosexual, being an American. These things all enable some level of privilege that may not feel like that for you because of those other identities that may that may hold oppressive roles. Um, but like Mona is emphasizing, there's there's lots of variations of ways you can hold privilege. Yeah. So our our examples may have been specific to like anti-black racism or anti-Asian racism, but you can take something from this. Everyone should be striving to be a good ally in whatever area that is, that applies for you. And here on this podcast, we are always going to talk from our own experiences and our own roles um, and what we've encountered. There's no space for us to start talking about experiences that we haven't experienced. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's always something to keep in mind. It may not be relevant. The things that we say may not always hold true in your truth, in your identities, and in your life. But usually the things that we're saying are transferable and you could take something from it. Um, so if you're not white or, well, if you're white, please just do the things I say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just yes. Just um, do better. <laughs> and we're going to link a bunch of uh, like resources in the show notes. I have a ton that I just have on deck all the time uh, to educate people, to talk about allyship, and how you can just continually strive to be better. Yeah, so check out the website, Rebels Advocate Pod at WordPress.com. And that will be, or dot WordPress.com. I said it like it was yeah. an email. Um, <laughs> but you can email us too, Rebels Advocate Pod at gmail.com. Um, and definitely check out the show notes on our website. There's tons of great stuff there and resources. We never, that was one of our big things of like season two. We never want to leave you hanging to like, have to do the work with the things that we're mentioning like have to search for it so we're trying to make that a priority so definitely check out the show notes Kimona does a really good job with it Um, yeah anything else Uh, follow us on Instagram uh, at Rebels Advocate Pod and on Twitter at Rebels ADV Pod and continue being a good ally or strive and striving to always be a better ally both. And I trust that you're listening to this podcast that you have a desire to be. So mm-hmm. keep doing the good work. Keep fighting the good fight and encourage the people around you to follow suit. All right. That will be all from us for this week. And then we will see you next Tuesday and every Tuesday with a new episode. All right. Bye. See ya.